You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome into another episode of the Ots and Audibles podcast. Eric Scopel, Jared Mack here. Matt, Matt Prima on vacation because whenever anything big is going on, apparently that's how it works out. It times out that way. <laughs> Literally recruiting. And now it's bigger. It's conference realignment potentially. And uh, Jared and I are going to, we're splitting the show into two kind of segments. The first is going to be reacting to a couple of verbal commitments over the last 72 or so hours. Uh, we're going to take a break. We'll come back and we'll talk some conference realignment and answer some. We put a mailbag request on Sunday for a, a show we were, or maybe Monday for a show we were planning on recording Jared is a little nasally today because he's kind of a little bit under the weather, so we postponed it. And uh, we also wanted to just focus on conference realignment. So there was about a dozen questions in total asked. We're only answering a couple of them that are focused on realignment in general. So I'm um, just putting that out there so you're kind of aware going in. We'll probably um, record a mailbag, I'm guessing, next week on Monday, and we'll recycle some of the questions that stood out. But um, we're not going to answer a full – it's not a full mailbag show. It's going to be a partial mailbag, those that put in realignment questions – you might hear yours at the back end, but we're going to start kind of focusing on some pretty big, exciting news, Jared. Um, Oregon's recruiting class back in the top 25. Over the weekend, they landed Tatum Toyote, a three-star edge player who lives in Sheldon's – lives in Sheldon – lives in Eugene, <laughs> goes to Sheldon High School. There we go. Uh, son of defensive line coach Tony Toyote. And then uh, yesterday, the big news on Tuesday, four-star cornerback Caleb Presley out of Rainier Beach up in Seattle becomes Oregon's highest-rated commitment of the 2023 class um, a really big addition I think we could kind of talk about both of them in tandem but um, I think to start let's let's focus on kind of Presley and I hate to put Tatum on the back end because I talked with him on Sunday super nice kid um, but Presley is a top 100 recruit this is a big verbal commitment as brings Oregon to three corners basically in this class I know Colin Gill we've talked about kind of a hybrid corner safety but mm-hmm. when you, I, I know we both watched some of Caleb's film. So let's kind of start with some assessments here. Joe, when you put on the tape and you kind of watched it and, and watched him last year at Rainier Beach, kind of what stood out to you? He's a hard hitter. I think that's the the biggest thing that stands out. And apologies if I sound a little nasally. I know Eric just introduced and said I was under the weather. Still kind of am on the on the re- rebound right now. But, um, you know, watching Presley, it's a huge get for Oregon, obviously. you Everybody wants a top 100 kid in the country. Um, I think he's 78th overall, according to the 24-7 sports top 247. Um, this is a uh, quick, quick diverge here. Um, this is the second straight year or second straight recruiting cycle that Oregon has landed the number one player in the state of Washington. Uh, obviously, Josh Connolly Jr. last year and now Caleb Presley this year. Um, not to be confused with the Caleb Presley of Barstool Sports, which I see a, a couple of people have already been confused by that on the Twitterverse. So if you're listening, don't be Um Presley, going back to his tape, um, really a standout cornerback. Uh, he's a hard hitter. Um, his physicality and his body type kind of remind me of Michael Wright's high school tape. 
Um, I think they're kind of the same physically more than, more than I guess, a heavy hitter. Um, but this is a cornerback that almost any team in the country wants. And you saw that from his final five, which included Michigan State and Alabama. Um, obviously, Washington was in there too. So he's staying close to home. Um, I, I think if, if, if you watch the CBS Sports HQ broadcast of him uh, committing to Oregon yesterday, uh, it was clear that the 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 ability his ability to hit on the perimeter is a, a big big asset for any team that's getting him, um, and because of that, I could you know see him and really starting to make an impact right away, um, because it's you know it's a mandatory thing as a cornerback or a nickel or whatever you're playing in the secondary to be able to hit in the open space, and that's exactly what Presley does, um, and that's not to take away from anything from his perimeter skills and man to man coverage. He's also very good there which is, you know, why he's a top 100 recruit. Um, you can't just have one thing and then not the other. But the fact that he has both of these things and the fact that his hitting prowess is already at such a high level as a high school, well, a rising junior going into his senior year, um, I think that speaks a lot of volumes. And I think that um, if he continues this path, I know he's already risen in the recruiting rankings quite a bit since he was introduced to 24-7. You know, I think he can continue to rise and then Oregon could um, – Maybe he'll finish as one of the higher or if the highest guy in Oregon's recruiting class. But I, I, I mean, I still think Jerion Dickey is going to get above him. I mean, they're, they're close right now, but this is still an, a, a very welcome addition to the Oregon class of 2023. On the Washington front, it's kind of interesting because Oregon had not led, landed a blue chip recruit from the state of Washington since 2005 prior to last cycle. And 2005 was Jonathan Stewart, a household <clears throat> man. Those listening know who that is. Um, one of the more talented running backs to come through the program. It's pretty interesting now, back-to-back cycles, Oregon is going in there and having some success. We should note Presley was second ranked in the state up until about a week ago when Jaden Wayne yeah. he was transferring to IMG down in Florida. Um, and so if you wanted to, I mean, you could probably, there's maybe, it's been a little more complicated than he's, I mean, he is right now the highest rated, but there are players from the state that were more highly rated even a week ago um, or one player. So not, not to, take anything away from, but just wanted to create that kind of clarification. And then I am in total agreement with kind of the player assessment because, you know, it's funny. Think about some of the guys Oregon landed the last couple of cycles at corner. Um, I think about a Darren Barkins. I think about a Kamari Terrell. These are guys with incredible physical tools that are just not maybe physically put together. Like we saw Darren Barkins, even this spring, he still looks 10, 15 pounds shy of where his probably optimal playing weight will be. Yep. Presley is really compactly built. I'm not saying he doesn't have room to add weight because I think he probably will add some weight and probably will bulk up and refine that a little bit. But I think I'm, I'm t- in total agreement in terms of like, he is really physical. He's great in man coverage. Like I think maybe this will be someone you, you said, Mikhail, right? In terms of the physical and ask, you know, attributes, I think maybe a little bit like Diamond Lenore in terms of the press cover. Yeah, that's a better one. Well, just because I think body type, you're probably right. Cause I think, he and Wright, he and Wright are very similar. I got that little bit of redundant wording there. Um, <laughs> You're he right. And Wright are similar in terms of the body type, but stylistically, I could see him being more Diamador type in terms of yeah. physical. Really, um, he's, he's just going to try to get you off your spots at the line of scrimmage. I thought it was interesting too, kind of watching some of his tape at Rainier, was how infrequently they were in press. Like he's largely doing what Oregon did a year ago that really frustrated fans where he's five to 10 yards off on that in terms of cushion, just lining up. Um, Oregon will be more aggressive at corner going forward. I think Presley fits that really, really well. And 
you know, look at Oregon's class at corner. I think a lot of credit goes to Demetrius Martin, who is now going to be the highest rated um, recruiting coach in the Pac-12, jumping Dante Williams at USC. And we say Pac-12, but not too long from now, it really won't be Pac-12. But you know. say that because currently they are still Pac-12. Um, we'll talk more about some of that later. But uh, Martin has done a really good job. You know, his three primary recruits thus far, we just talked about one of them quite a bit here, Caleb Presley. Um, Cole Martin, his son, is the third highest rated uh, recruit currently in the 23 class for Oregon. And then Colin, Colin Gill, who's a player we talked about before, he's kind of a riser. We expect he's currently that lowest rated recruit in the class. I think we kind of all expect by the time this all comes to a close, that won't be the case. I'm not going to say he's a four star, but I'm going to guess he's going to be somebody who's not ranked in the 1100s, I think, which is about where he's at right now. So a really impressive start for Martin, who I know when we had Steve Wiltfong on the podcast late last week, you know, was really high on what Martin does as a recruiter. Um, Off to a really hot start this cycle. Think about last cycles, you know, shoring up, getting the Jaleels in the fold, making sure they got both Tucker and Florence. Kamari Terrell, I think you give an assist to Matt Pallage. That was a guy who who Pallage had recruited at Baylor, Um, you know, and so – but, but still credit for Martin for closing there. But I, I think really impressed with the way he started this. And then kind of wonder at the corner position, you know, you look at the numbers, Christian Gonzalez, Dante Martin, or Dante Martin, Dante Manning. I'm all over the place with names today, guys. I'm sorry. Maybe okay. I'm the head cold. Um, <laughs> you kind of look at it, though, and you go, there's not a ton of players that are really close to exhausting eligibility. And, and I'll pose this question to you before we turn over and start talking about the other um, verbal commitment. Do you, I don't know how many more corners they're going to take. I know they're in on some good ones. I'm guessing that they're probably taking maybe one more. I can't imagine they take two or three more. And if they do, that suggests to me that Colin Gill is is not, I know we've talked about him, he's kind of more of a hybrid guy, but that like he's really not someone they see as a corner at all. I, I think it's a good question to pose. I mean, I went on this about how many safeties could be leaving Oregon next year. I think the total number is six yeah. Um, because Bennett Williams is, is gone, gone. His eligibility is over, and so is Donovan Dalton. And we don't know how much Donovan Dalton's going to play, but you know he was a starter at Hawaii and then transferred to Oregon. Um, his eligibility is gone, and then you have you know four more guys who could leave early. They, some of them have one-year eligibility. Some, some of them have a two. just depends what they plan on doing. Um, I think Colin Gill probably becomes a safety. Just from watching his tape, I, I I would rather have him as a safety. Frankly, I like I think that fits his physical mold and his talents better. But you know, those five defensive backs already in this class, whether it's a corner or a safety, um, I think that's a lot. And like you're saying with the cornerbacks, you have Christian Gonzalez and Dante Manning, who are your projected starters, who still have at least two or three more years of eligibility. I think three for Gonzalez and at least two for Manning. Um, you still have Avante Dickerson, you still have Darren Barkins, you still have the Jaleels who just came in, you still have Kamari Terrell. Um, that's a, you know, looking forward to next year, like that's that's going to be a loaded room if, if yeah. Presley and Martin and these guys all stay committed and signed throughout. Um, that's a lot of guys. And I'm not sure if they're expecting turnover in terms of transfers or, uh, I guess no one can really graduate at this point, but I guess just straight transfers. Um I think that's not a bad play. You saw two different. You saw two cornerbacks leave after this year due to the transfer portal. So for this past season, so I think that's smart of them to do. But um, I think they'd only take another guy if he's elite. 
I think honestly, I could see the cornerback room and the safeties room like being done so far in this cycle, because I maybe another safety if it's an elite safety, but I don't know how many there are left out there that are really considering Oregon. But I think I would set the cap on just one more recruit. I just think there's already too many guys. You already brought in a handful of guys in the 2022 class, especially in cornerbacks. Um, I would just look to shore up the safety market, and even then, they, the Oregon could look to. Uh, the transfer portal for uh, a safety who's played a couple of years and then could bring them in and then not have, you know, like the freshman year of figuring out the system, adding weight, whatever the case may be. Um, I think that's the, the better route in my opinion than taking in another safety uh, prospect, but we'll see what landing is going to do. Um, it's certainly a great start for Demetrius Martin. Um, like you said, give Matthew Pallage for some credit on uh, like uh, Kamari Terrell for last year um, to segue who, uh, other than Tony Tuioti, who who should we give credit to landing his kid at Tatum Tuioti? Is that do you think you give give him all the credit here? Uh, actually, I t- spoke with him and he said you shouldn't give them very much credit at all. And I thought he said oh. his dad didn't dissuade him from going to Oregon, but he said Tosh Lupoi was his primary, um, okay. which is kind of funny because Cole Martin's primary was Demetrius Martin because Cole Martin's going to come in and play corner at Oregon. Demetrius Martin is the cornerbacks coach. Tony Toyote coaches defensive line, but Tatum is an outside linebacker. Um, he told me he's going to be playing the jack position or kind of that same standing edge position you see on the other side. That like uh, He's going to be kind of playing a Braden Swinson sort of role a little bit. Um, those sort of players, maybe Trevin Mai a little bit. I'm trying to think of who else kind of fits that right now. Um, the role like an Adrian Jackson played previously before moving inside. He's kind of more in line with that than he is a person who ever expects to put his hand down. He's 6'3", 225 right now, about 223, I think is what he told me. He wants to be about 240 when he enrolls. I I think this is somebody who's like strictly an outside linebacker. So um, good segue question because that gets you kind of going down the part of the story I wanted to talk about, which is it's kind of a cool deal here where talking with Tatum on Sunday, which he committed on Saturday, um, you know, he made it really clear his dad – wanted to play the put the dad cap on rather than the assistant coach recruiter cap and he put no pressure on him he said he want his dad really wanted to be just kind of there to educate him help him through the recruiting process tony's been through it he's got an older son who's been through it you know he wanted to help tatum kind of in that capacity so um i actually changed on, on tatum's profile i had originally put tony toyote as the primary recruiter um I've changed it now to Tosh Lupoi primary Tony, uh, his dad as the secondary recruiter. Cause it sounds like that's how it's played out. And he's expecting to work with Tosh Lupoi full time. And I think as you might recall, Tosh and, and Tony, his dad have a little bit of a history. Um, Tatum said he didn't really know Tosh very well growing up. I think they said the first time they met in person was when they moved to Eugene from Lincoln, Nebraska in January. But it's it's going to be, I think, interesting to see the development here of a couple of coaches, kids. Tatum is somebody who he put on the tape. You see he's pretty athletic. I think he's obviously really gifted technically. He's got an idea of what he's doing in terms of rushing yeah. the passer. I think that's pretty much from what I can tell at this point, I would say that's where he helps you the most. I don't think he's someone like we talked about Presley being someone who can come in and maybe impact things right away. Not to say I don't think Tatum – Tuioti can do that. I probably think he's somebody who is going to fall in line with the Trevin Ma'ai, where he takes two or three yeah. years in the program to get his body right, to kind of, you know, maybe gain kind of a greater understanding of where he fits in the defense before he makes an impact. But I do see somebody who has the traits to be 
a contributor, but I think he's more of like, you're going to expect him by 2024, 25 and 26 to be someone who's making an impact rather than someone like Presley, where I don't want to say he's going to come in and, and start. Cause I think that's really unfair. I don't know if he'll even be in the two deep right away. Cause as we said, Oregon has a lot of talented young corners, but I think Presley has a chance to come in and be a contributor early. I think Tuioti is probably somebody who you're looking at and going, he's a depth piece. You want him here for the culture. You love the opportunity for a father and son to team up. They're doing it twice this cycle. He's certainly good enough to play at Oregon, but the expectation is more like, hey, we'll wait two to three cycle, two to three years probably before he's much of an impact player. Yeah, I think your comparison to Trevin's really good. Um, yeah, just watching Tatum's tape, it's clear that he understands how to play that edge rusher or the defensive line, depending on where the, his high school team put him. Um, yeah. And that certainly helps that your your dad was a defensive line coach at, at Nebraska. Um, that's some some good some good fundamentals that are being taught there at the Tuioti household. Um, but yeah, he's certainly a guy who you you can see making an impact eventually at his time at Oregon. Um, just like how you mentioned uh, how we could see Caleb Presley kind of making an impact as he steps foot onto campus. I don't necessarily see that in Tuioti, but just like you said. That's not a dig at Tuioti. Um, he's certainly somebody who just needs to add weight. Um, you mentioned that he said he's two two three right now, which is very precise. And you know, that's just not it's just not a weight that you can have as a as an outside line outside linebacker that jack position. Um, if he gets up in that two forty, maybe even to two fifty, like how Trevin Mai is doing. And Trevin, you know, he's still he's seemingly adding another. Trevin's pounds. like two seventy. I've heard. Yeah, he's yeah. <laughs> it's a it's. Uh, he's probably added 50 pounds since he got on campus, but yeah. that's what he needs. That's what Tatum Tuioti needs to do as well. He needs to get up to that 250, 260 weight range. Um, and with, with that comes physical uh, uh, power. It comes quick quickness working with Jaworski Beckham, the, the strength and speed coach for Oregon. Um, but yeah, like the 2024 range, I think, is a realistic timeline for him to potentially become a contributor to the defensive line or that edge rusher spot. Um, but I, I do think this is a good pickup for Oregon. Um, this is another one of those where technically he is the number one player in the state of Oregon, but Riley Williams just transferred to IMG Academy and yeah. then committed to Miami. So another technicality there, landing a top in-state kid, but it's still good. Um, if Riley Williams were still in Oregon, this would be the number two or number three player in the state of Oregon. Um, I still think regardless of how good of a prospect somebody is in Oregon, Oregon needs the, the university of Oregon needs to continue to, to haul in and set a wall around, around the state and make sure that, that they keep their in-state kids in state. That's a good way of ending this segment. And I, I'm kind of mad at myself for not bringing it up until now is Oregon in about three days time landed the best player in the state of Oregon and the best player in the state of Washington ensures that they'll do that once again. And, and again, I think two defensive players that have a chance to contribute early potentially, or at least over the course of their career. So I think a, a good couple of days recruiting, we're going to take a quick break here. Um, we're going to come back and we're going to talk about the stuff that I think people probably are more intrigued on. And that is, conference realignment and what the latest is there. So uh, thank you for listening to this episode. We'll be back in a second. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. 
Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to the Odds and Audibles podcast. Eric and Jared still here. We are changing uh, topics and talking about, again, what I think. I mean, it's kind of so it's so funny. Just here's a slight digression on a personal level. During the offseason, it's where's the recruiting news? Where's the recruiting news? And suddenly we've got a lot of recruiting news and nobody's really that interested in the recruiting news because over the last, what has it been? <laughs> it feels like two months, but it's like 96 hours. Oregon, the Pac-12, the West Coast football has really been kind of turned on its head. And there's a lot of conflicting reports. USC, UCLA to the Big Ten is the only thing that's confirmed. That's the only thing that I feel confident that by 2024, those schools will not be in the Pac-12. They will be playing in the Big Ten. They will be traveling across the country to play in Evanston and East Lansing and Purdue and all sorts of places that they very rarely travel to. That is that is certain. What is uncertain is where Oregon fits in this, and I think that's what's made this a really stressful few days for the two of us, for Oregon fans everywhere, for our message board, for probably listeners to this podcast of trying to know what the future holds. Um, there's been It's been hard to know who to rely upon, and we've talked to people inside the program. I think they're pretty uncertain, by the way. There are tons of people on Twitter seemingly creating narratives that I don't know how much stock you want to put into them i think some some of them are somewhat reputable some of them are probably not reputable at all all this is getting passed around it's a it's it's complicated it's confusing the two of us have been messaging back and forth i think what i will say is um it's kind of hard to parse through this and know anything nothing is sort certain for oregon but the latest from john wilner of the san jose mercury news who i personally trust as probably the best reporter in the pac-12 in terms of covering the conference I know that's been divisive because there's a thread on the story that Jared posted this morning on the same topic that basically has people saying he's a hack and he hates Oregon and he's trying to sow doubt, blah, 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 blah. I do not believe that. SoCal Homer. Which is hilarious because he operates in Northern California. And if you followed his work, he's anything but that. He's been very critical of USC and UCLA for years. Um, If anything, he's maybe like a Bay Area Homer, but I think he's pretty straight down. I mean, to me, he's pretty fair. Um, But what... John Wilner reported this morning, um, citing a source here. I'm gonna, I think I got the tweet pulled up here. I'm gonna, I'm gonna read it in a second here. Um, but it kind of sows some doubt into what will happen with Oregon here. This is what he posted this morning per a source. The source says, I'd be stunned if Washington and Oregon go to the Big Ten. The, ben, the Big Ten will sit back for two years, then try to get Notre Dame. And then this is Wilner's theorizing. Growing reality is the Ducks and Huskies have to make have to one make it work in the Pac-12 or two join the Big 12. And he goes, my guess, number one is the preference, and obviously number one would be sticking it out in the Pac-12. Disappointing, I think, because yeah, if you want to look at it 
from a, I want to talk about this from a bunch of different angles from kind of where my head is at with this, but. Okay. Where do you want um, to start? Let's just start with kind of reacting to this particular piece of news, because as I said, it's been hard to know who to trust. There were a couple of days there where it felt like, oh, Oregon will follow USC UCLA. Like that's a no brainer. Oregon's a really big brand. They're attractive. People were posting, oh, this will happen. There was seemed like there was some confidence in this. I remember Wilner even tweeted early on, like, don't think that the Big Ten is done, yep. which kind yep. of pushes the envelope that he's hearing that. You know, John Canzano has reported things. There's again, I didn't want to put the names out of some of these people who the more you kind of dig into some of the people who are pushing some narratives, you kind of they kind of sow some doubt into who they are. But to me, again, Wilner is reputable. And I'm going to react to this on face value, which is that this is not good in the short term or the long term for Oregon. I think, and I want to get to it in a moment, I think there's still hope that Oregon can end up in one of these super conferences, which is where I think they're headed. But you've got two options, and I don't like either one of them, is, is the reality of it. And I hate to say that because I'm somebody who loves the idea of teams on the west coast playing each other the tradition of that the history of that i was really disappointed when usc and UCLA left in part because i have grown up watching these schools and watching rivalries develop and it's being torn apart the idea of a pac 10 whatever pac 12 pac 16 who knows how many schools are in a conference if it does remain it's going to be really hard for oregon to be very viable during those years to make a college football playoff to be considered much more than an also ran the pac 12 was already being kind of written off they were already kind of seen on even footing if not a little below the big 12 and the acc if if this plays out worst case they're going to be perceived almost like an american conference that's like the Mm -hmm. that's like me being pessimistic and so it's hard for me, Jared, and I'm going to ask you to talk me off the ledge, but you're not going to have the answers that'll get me there. No. Similar on this topic. Um, um, yeah, I'm going to push you further. It's just it's it's challenging for me to see the reality for Oregon and go. The Big Ten felt kind of like I think it was Pete Thamel of ESPN uses like all the Pac-12 schools are going to try to get over the moat. They're going to try to like end up hopping over because that's really their only way of survival. I think long, long term, that might not be the case, but in the short term, it certainly is not a good thing to be left behind. And that is where Oregon is at. And I know that's, and again, I'm not totally defeatist here because this has not been finalized. The PAC-12 has not signed its new media rights deal and said Oregon is involved. Oregon has not reached, by the way, this is notable. Oregon has released zero, and I mean zero. Not a single thing. No response. I think every school in the conference besides Arizona State and Oregon, and there may be one other, has at least commented on this in some capacity. You might know what the other one is, Jared. Um, but no, Oregon said nothing. I think it's clear Oregon wants to be a part of this. I think it's also pretty clear the Big Ten isn't too moved by Oregon right now. And I think that probably feels humbling and disappointing if you're Oregon based upon recent on-field success and, honestly, just the general health of the athletic department, which has been – you know, competing at a pretty high level for over a decade or two now in all, a lot of major sports. But I think the reality is that Oregon will kind of become a program that will look really, really good on the West Coast that will probably win a lot of big football games. But I just think long term, you have to be concerned about kind of where things are headed. And again, I, I do have some thoughts. On, I'm, I'm trying to make it positive. I want to get to that in a moment here, but I also want to give Jared an opportunity to respond. 
Um, yeah, I'll just re I'll, I'll start by replying to the Wilner reports that it doesn't look likely that Oregon or Washington will will be able to join the Big Ten. Um, <clears throat> verbal meme: uh, the Stephen A. Smith. This is bad. This is very very bad. Um, that was my initial reaction to it. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, in the last couple of days, Eric, like you mentioned, there haven't been a lot of viable reports going on here. I think Wilner is most keyed in with all Pac-12 news. Um, he, along with like high ups or, or high, I guess, alumni of USC, like Matt Leinard and company, um, kind of broke the news originally. I remember Wilner tweeted like, this is a day that's going to like or last forever or something like that. Something about the earth. It was it was very yeah. it was very seismic. Okay, very, I'll, I'll find it while you talk. Please do. It was very cryptic, and I think that caught everybody's attention. Like, oh, what's going on? And then the USC and UCLA news happened. Um, if you're Oregon, this is probably your worst case scenario. I have to admit. Um, I think going to the Big Twelve is bad because the Big Twelve, as we all know, are losing Oklahoma and Texas in the next couple of years. And if you're Oregon and let's say they tag along Washington and bring, I don't know, Colorado, Utah, and two other Pac-12 teams with them to the Big 12, does that change anything? Does that change a single thing about how they view the Big 12? Because I get it. I'm, I'll, I'll, I'll start this off. Like I'm, I'm an East Coast guy. I'm an, I grew up an Oregon fan, but I at least have like some, I have a lot of East Coast bias in me. Um, Oregon is a very strong brand. Uh, they're probably near their peak right now. I would say their peak was probably in the mid 2010s. Um, Washington is a strong brand as well, although it's on the downhill turn in the last couple of years. I don't, I don't think Oregon is as big of a brand as everybody would like it to be, or at least Oregon fans would like it to be. And I think that's a very clear with how the big 10 is assessing the situation. Um, I've read a lot of John Canzano's, uh, I guess not blog posts, but his, his columns on his sub stack. Um, he had an evaluator on a former Fox network evaluator who put Oregon's value at like $30 million a year, which is about what the PAC 12 is paying out to their teams. Uh, the big 10 pays about $57 million a year to their teams. And you can say, obviously Rutgers probably doesn't pull up their end of the bargain. But when you have teams like Ohio State and Michigan, Michigan State, Wisconsin, you know the, the list is is far significant than the Pac-12, and that's what all this is about. Obviously, this is all about getting money, more money than what they're getting from the Pac-12. And for USC and UCLA, that's about twenty-five, twenty-seven million dollars more than what they get from the Pac-12, and that goes a long way in an athletic department. USC probably doesn't need it as much as UCLA because UCLA is still $100 million in debt after the pandemic season, which is probably a good thing for UCLA think, uh, that they're tagged USC, USC also needed money. I think they probably did, but since they're yeah, they, a private school, they're not. They, 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 need, they needed some money. It was financially driven. Sorry, keep going. I just it's all, I've, heard, I've heard a little bit of that. It's all financially driven. I mean, even if you're Oregon, I'm, I'm not sure what the Oregon allocations of funds are at this present point in time and if they're in debt or whatever from the pandemic shortened season. They, they also are. Yeah. I would imagine. But even if they weren't, they, they're still going They're still going to try to go to the Big Ten in this situation. Sure. Um, this, yeah, the Wilner news today is, is pretty bad if you're the Ducks because I think the Big Ten was your ideal one. 
there were the reports that Phil Knight was trying his damnedest along with the higher-ups at Oregon to try to get them in the Big Ten or the SEC, which would be disastrous. Um, and, you know, the the bright point... Deal, Jared, but financially potentially good if the SEC would actually cut them in generously, which they wouldn't. Which they wouldn't. Uh, there's no chance. Uh, the SEC would not take a look at Oregon or Washington or any, any school in the Pac-12 other than USC, but USC is already going to the Big Ten. Um or Notre Dame, but we don't know what Notre Dame is doing. There is the bright point that people like to bring up that it's if Oregon stays in the Pac-10 or Pac-12, whatever you want to call it, that they get to be the Clemson of the Pac-10. And that's fine and dandy. Oregon can go 10-1 and one every year because I think there's – or 10-2, and two, whatever the case may be, because I think it's really just Oregon and Utah, at least for the near distant future of teams that are going to be very good in the conference. That's cool. Um, Oregon still has to win a college football playoff game or two because that's the only reason why Clemson takes or is, is taken seriously from a national perspective. Is because yeah, they beat the, the the crap, excuse my language, out of the ACC every year, but they at least beat Alabama and Ohio State and Oklahoma or whoever they're playing in the in the college football semifinals. They at least win on the national stage and show that they deserve to be there. For Oregon to do the same thing and be the Clemson of the Pac-10, they have to get out there on the national stage and beat teams in college football playoffs, which can happen. But it's going to be a lot harder even for them to get to that stage. It's already really hard for a Pac-12 team to get to that stage in the college football playoffs. Now, what happens when you take USC and UCLA out of the mix? Going 10-1 and in the Pac-12 as your final record, losing one conference game, that's already enough to not get into the playoffs. It's clear. I mean, we saw that with Oregon and with Justin Herbert's year. We saw that in years past. We've seen that with Utah too. It doesn't doesn't matter how how they do in the Pac-10 now. They'd have to go undefeated and beat all the teams by 20 because that's the difference between playing in the Big 10 or the SEC where you see a two-loss Alabama team sometimes get in there or two-loss Georgia team, whatever the case may be. So the, the the idea of punishing opponents on the West Coast as the lone good West Coast team is is a is fine. If you want to see the, the the wins start to rack up, that's fine. But you're going to fall into the group of five. You're no longer going to be a Power Five school, like you were mentioning, Eric. Like it's going to be the American Athletic Conference in the Pac-12. This this is probably sounding very dire to those listening. Um, and I, but I think here, here's because I don't doubt for a moment Oregon's ability to compete. The, the issue, though, is, is the financial implications of potentially losing 20 to $30 million compared to USC and UCLA annually. I know UCLA is in a financial hole anyway. And it's, well, there was reporting earlier today, they were contemplating like cutting sports and stuff. So like it was, yeah. I, I, I talked to, I talked to a, a coach at one of Oregon's programs who was like, I, I, there was, they didn't have an option. Like I don't have any animosity towards the way UCLA made that decision because they were basically in the world of hurt they had to absolutely um but for oregon you have to recognize the financial implications long term because losing 25 million dollars per year maybe doesn't hurt you for a year or two but for four to five years that's really really bad and and we're already seeing the out and that's already what's been taking place now for about a decade since larry scott took over and mismanaged these television yeah. and, and and that honestly that's that's the been the impetus of the downfall of the conference i think two things one one is larry scott 
just completely just bamboozling this whole thing and just not doing a good job (laughs) and really dropping, I mean, no exposure for the conference. The conference doesn't get the money. And then it's been USC as the as the supposed big boy, you know, you know, you talk about how much their brand is value, you know, valued at Jared. They've been they've been really bad for what they're supposed to be for a long time. And Texas has done something similar in the Big Twelve, but they've always had Oklahoma, which is another big brand. Oregon has had the on field success that you'd like to see, but unfortunately, they're not perceived the same way. And right or wrong, it's just the way it is at this point. I probably would look at Oregon and feel like, man, they, I was probably more optimistic about Oregon being included just because I think if you look at the success of the athletic department over the last two decades, Oregon's a top 12 to 15 athletic department in the country. And I think if you, you'd be able to find hard data to back that up. I mean, like you look at Oregon against USC heads up in football, by the way, Oregon's 11 and six the last 22 years, um, seven and three, the last 10 times they've played. Um, Oregon has been, carrying the conference but unfortunately their brand is not what usc is or what and you know ucla in terms of football has never been a humongous brand but being in los angeles that's a really important market and for the pac-12 to fold through there and for interest to dip that didn't help anything okay if i'm trying to spin this positive before we get to our question i think there's going to continue to be what we're seeing right now is is a Less or it's kind of an organic shift towards two super conferences in the SEC and the Big Ten, right? And those two conferences, I believe, after these most recent acquisitions, will have a combined. I think it's thirty-two teams once USC and UCLA take place, and once Texas and Oklahoma take place. I think it's thirty-two. Yeah. Ultimately, ultimately, the projections are that there will be about forty to forty-eight teams. I've seen that are included in this can't say with any level of certainty if Oregon is one of those 40 or 48 teams, you have no idea when this supposed super conference happens. I think if you're an Oregon fan, you hope it happens sooner than later because you're hoping you can latch on because again, the longer it gets more desperate, the longer this drags on. Like if this is a thing where it's just because if, if it's 10 years of making that's $250 million less maybe than USC and UCLA and trying to recruit in that footprint becomes more and more difficult. Yeah. So if you're Oregon and if you want to put a positive spin, this positive spin is, is, is what Jared laid out is you just, you do as best you can in the pack, whatever, or big 12 or whatever conference you win a lot of games, you stay as viable as you can. You make as much money as you can. You try to stay afloat and you hope the phone call comes from, whatever these two super conferences going to be whenever they are trying to expand and whenever it does become 40 to 48 teams, because yep. I would have more confidence. Like if we're, if we're talking about it this way, is Oregon going to be one of the 36 teams included? Maybe not. And that's probably the next move, right? They're at 32. Probably both of those are going to, you know, Clemson and Florida state and Miami and Notre Dame are probably the teams that are most attractive currently not in one of those two conferences. Oregon to me would be in that next group probably after that to get to yep. 40 or to get to 48. And so yep. I'm trying to put a positive spin on this and, and make it not the most doom and gloom, even though it's hard not to. And we just talked for about 15 minutes about how it is kind of doom and gloom. The positive spin on this is you, you control what you can control. You try to be as successful in whatever conference you're in. You try to stay afloat. You do as best you can. And when it does expand further, because that seems like – the direction it's going. These conferences aren't getting smaller. They're getting bigger. When it does get to 
40, 48, whatever the, the, the final number is, you hope to be one of the teams included there. And that's also where I think if you're Oregon, you make sure you don't burn bridges right now. I don't know how these negotiations go, but you do your best to just kind of stay afloat. And again, it's a really helpless position to feel and be in because it feels like things are out of your control. Well, they are right now. Things are out of Oregon's control. That's a really disappointing place to be. I think if you're Oregon and Utah, you're disappointed because if you look at it from an on-field perspective, you've kind of been carrying the conference from a national perspective for six to eight years, maybe a little longer for Oregon. Washington yeah. can get tossed in there. I mean, you look over the last decade and USC just hasn't been very good. UCLA hasn't been very good. And they're both the teams that get to leave. Right. It's disappointing if you look at it from an on-field thing. But as Jared and I have tried to explain, that's it's not, not an on-field doesn't That's matter. not where the decision-making comes from. It's not all on-field success. In fact, USC and UCLA are probably pretty attractive because of the fact that they're not great football programs, but they come from massive markets that have a lot of subscribers that now are going to be part of the Big Ten network that are going to add millions of people that are now going to be in the Big Ten's pool of, of people subscribing and viewing their content. Whereas Oregon, a lot of fans in Oregon, just not as big of a, big of a place. Oregon, probably a better program right now than USC and UCLA in terms of recent success Trajectory-wise, you could probably – Oregon and USC could probably argue just because of the recent coaching hires and everything if you wanted to. Um, but the point I'm trying to make is it's not about wins and losses. I think that's the thing that's been hard to understand for Oregon fans. It's not even about how many eyes you're getting on each individual game, which is the thing that's been hard to understand. Because as Jared and I have been talking about even yesterday, like Oregon drew like about a million more per game than USC and UCLA did last year. And I think if you go through the past 10 years, somebody on our website posted a study on this. It's been consistently kind of that way. Oregon draws eyeballs, but the unfortunate thing is that's kind of not exactly what it is. It's like a little more nuanced about that. It's about geography. And Oregon happens to be in a state that's not as heavily populated. You could bring up like Nebraska. You could bring up other parts in the Big Ten. Well, they're already there. So they already have huge fan bases. And they're, well, then they're also not getting axed by the Big Ten. The Big Ten isn't no, going to stay. They're grandfathered. Yeah, they're grandfathered they're, in. So they're in a, they, they got very lucky in this to a certain degree. Rutgers and Maryland coming over. Very lucky in this because if you look at the football programs and even you look at kind of the markets, it's – it's well, Rutgers is in – there's bigger metropolitan areas, I should say. But from a football perspective, they're kind of lucky. But Oregon is not grandfathered in. Those schools aren't just getting slashed out because that's terrible business if you're the Big Ten. If you're gonna, I mean, that yeah. completely ruins negotiations of like, yeah, if you don't do well, we're going to relegate you. See ya. Go to the Pac-10. Um, <laughs> so that's where things are at. Jared, do you have anything more to add? I've got a couple questions that I wanted to answer. From I've, got, I've got two things to add real quick. Well, don't, don't, can you do it not like that? Can you do like two this way or something? Yeah, there you go. I guess, <laughs> is that worse or better? I don't know. This is bad. Know. I know we don't okay. like this right now. This is not good. <laughs> okay. How about um, this? Is this better? Like there, two. I go like this. Sure. Yeah. Um, two things to quickly add. Um, yeah, teams like Vanderbilt and Rutgers are semi-lucky. I don't think of them as being lucky that they're grandfathered in. I think of them as just being on the right end of the stick because I look at how the SEC and the Big Ten have gone about media negotiations and taken advantage of their high-profile schools, unlike how the Pac-12 has done in the last 20 years. And I give them the benefit of the doubt that they are just on the right conference at the right time. Uh, Because the Big Ten and the SEC have done an amazing job of marketing their schools and draining every single dollar that they can from Fox Sports and CBS Sports. Um, The second thing, uh, just about 
USC and how they haven't done well in the last 15 years, whatever, however long you want to say it compared to what their expectations are. Um, if you're the Big Ten, and Eric, like you mentioned, you have a huge metropolitan area of Los Angeles and Southern California, and even some of Northern California with their people who migrate, whatever. That's massive. If USC on the field performs up to their expectations in the first couple years of the Big Ten in 2024, five, six, whatever the case may be, that's an absurd amount of money flowing from Southern California into the Big Ten headquarters. And Oregon and Seattle and Portland and all that area that Oregon and Washington are hopeful to get into the Big Ten can't compete with that. They just cannot. And that's a we talked about Eric and I talked about this in our in our little text message chat the other day. Um, if you're the Big Ten, you have a pretty stable market. You have a pretty stable portfolio mm. in, in your back pocket. Yeah. You have nice. Yeah, I, I I wanted to do this because I think this is a good point we brought up. You're pretty stable right now. You have Ohio State. It's a pretty damn good school. Michigan, up kind of up and down, but you know, with, with Harbaugh there, it's pretty much the same thing. It's eight wins, nine wins, whatever. And the brand's Michigan, not going anywhere. That brand is blue. Brand is one of the more powerful ones in the country. Uh, Michigan State's another huge brand. Uh, Wisconsin is the Oregon of the Big Ten. They are always damn good every year, but they don't get nearly the publicity that Michigan and Ohio State get. Um, those are three schools right there that are probably better than uh, maybe maybe USC in terms of their value from the Pac-12. Um, that's a really stable portfolio if you're the Big Ten. And if you're looking to buy a stock that its peaks can you know, match any one of Ohio State, Wisconsin, or Michigan, uh, USC is, is the school to do it for. Because when they're good, and we've seen that only a handful of times in the last couple of years, when they're good, they are one of the most talked about teams in the country. They're already one of the most talked about teams in the country, and they've been below average the last couple of years. Um, More than a I'm couple. sure. Yeah. <laughs> but just to, you know, like a brief, like five, 10 year timeline. 15. I'm sure everybody remembers when Lincoln Riley was hired at USC. That was all any sports network had to talk about for the next week or so. And when Chip Kelly was hired at UCLA a long time ago, that was one of the only things a sports network could talk about for a long time. So if you're the Big Ten, you're going to go after USC all the time. And if you get UCLA, cool. That's fun. But a USC, a, a, a television set is going to in Los Angeles will be tuned into them if they're a good football team. That town, as many sports teams as there is, that's a USC-driven town or driven city. When they're a good program, that whole town basically bleeds that red. And you hear the fight song wherever you go. So if you're the Big Ten and you see that USC is potentially on the rise, we'll see how they do this year. But with Lincoln Riley, that seems like a really good start. And they have the recruiting. They always have. They've just always fallen short of expectations the last few years. That's a stock that you buy when you're this stable of a portfolio nine times out of 10. And this is an easy decision for the Big Ten. It was an easy decision for USC and UCLA. Oregon stock is really stable the last 20 years, but it's just not the price. You know, it's just not the same price per share or the earnings ratio that it is for a USC team when it gets at their peak. And that's kind of about it. 
Yeah. I think I, the words I used was USC is a really volatile blue chip stock where yep. you buy in on it. If it does well, you're going to get a massive payout. Oregon is a really stable, probably not even a, it's so stable. It's like not even a stock. It's like a bond. And I know I'm not the most financially savvy, but this is how it was explained to me by my financial advisor. You, you, you buy into it, you know, you're going to get a solid return out of it. You know, I know yep. the stock market's not great right now. So this is maybe a, a t- touching a nerve in terms of listenership in terms of, right. but like, you know, kind of what you're getting with Oregon. Well, the Big Ten already has a lot of stocks like that, or a lot of bonds like that. Yeah, they got a lot lot of investments in their portfolio that already fit that. And so Oregon is maybe not an investment that provides the same highs as – not probably. It's not an investment that provides the same highs as USC. It might perform better over 10 years. It probably has performed better over 10 years than USC to a certain degree. But I think anybody, and, I, and this is hard to say because I know Oregon fans listening are probably hating both of us right now, and I apologize. You were already called the USC homer last week. Prior I was. To happening. So for uh, what it's for what it's worth, both my parents went to UCLA, so I hate USC. But it's the stock to buy. It is the stock to buy. All right, uh, I want to do two questions here before we finish. Uh, these are mailbag questions that were pushed sent out this week. Um, as I said to start the show, we're going to really kind of examine and jump in on some other questions next week i would imagine on monday shoot maybe we'll do friday we'll kind of see what the week looks like but we will have another podcast answering more mailbag coming up but these were ones realignment specific and i want to stay on that topic today all right from at thug life tosh new question asker love the name um why shouldn't oregon go indie if they don't get invited to the big 10 um because it doesn't really it's it wouldn't work that well they wouldn't make the money notre dame does they wouldn't make the money even I mean, there's also the scheduling part of it. I don't think they would be able to schedule games in November against good teams. So they're not going to make the money that Notre Dame does because Notre Dame has all these built-in rivalries with Notre Dame and Utah. Or sorry, USC, Notre Dame and Stanford. They play every year. Notre Dame plays BYU now, the other big independent, every year. Um, you just saw, by the way, BYU, a longtime independent joining the big 12 because they want financial stability. That's an attractive thing going independent. And we want to use that stock analogy is taking a massive gamble that probably doesn't work out nine times out of 10. Yeah, it might, it might pay out really well if you can get the right people negotiating it, but I don't think that there's going to be a con, you know, a, a major network like NBC that's going to say, we'll stream all of Oregon's games and we'll pay you, more than the $30 million that you're going to get with the Pac-12 or the Big 12, right? That's what this is all about. It's just that media dollars. I understand the, some people are having a hard time with this and they're thinking it's about competition in the field. That doesn't matter. I know that sucks. It doesn't really matter. It's all about the money. And that. And that by the way, small diatribe, that sucks too because college sports, this is not what it used to be about. And I mean, I know this is like somebody who's I'm 33 years old, but I do remember when it didn't feel like it was all about money. When I was in high school, it didn't feel like it was all about the money. Maybe I was naive at the time. Maybe it's always been all about the money, but this feels like a pretty clear shift that's taken place over the last six, seven years, which kind of sucks, but this is the world we're living in. And Oregon is going to, again, approach this with their finances and their economics near the top. They're going to make a decision that benefits them financially. And ultimately going independent is very risky and probably doesn't even provide you close to the same financial valuation or financial return as you would get by continuing to be in a conference. And we'll see what happens. We'll see what the numbers look like. 
shoot, maybe it'll come back and Rob Mullins will be like, yeah, Amazon Prime has agreed to air Oregon and Washington games. Maybe. They're going to pay them you know, $75 million combined for this deal each year. And uh, it's, they're going to, they're going to be in some sort of weird coupling where they play each other and they play other teams regionally and blah, 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 blah. And it's this great big thing. More than likely that figure is nowhere near that. And Rob Mullins and company are also aware of that. And they're not even going to negotiate it. So no, going independent doesn't make make sense financially. It doesn't really make sense in terms of scheduling games either. Um, yeah. And I just don't think it's a viable thing to go independent right now. Notre Dame chose to be independent a long time ago when, the money of this was in its infancy stages and they were able to build this out, build this out, build this relationship with the NBC for decades and decades. Now BYU has also been independent for a very long time and was able to withstand it and is now leaving that model. It's not something that Oregon can do. No, it's, it's just not. Um, I think going independent would be not a death sentence, but I think it would be really, just really silly for Oregon to even think about. Um, Notre Dame is a very long standing football team. Uh, you know, like our, it's gone generations of human beings um, back East, back home where I'm from Notre Dame is, is the school because, you know, they're the, the fighting Irish and it goes back, like I said, generations of people, they don't need any extra help to get that publicity for them. It's already been set in stone. They have, uh, you know, decades and decades upon uh, NFL legends, College football legends, Heisman also, winners. There's also the religious aspect of that's the Catholic school. It is. Right. Going, going, I went to Catholic school at Gonzaga. Most of the people were college football fans were Notre Dame fans because of that. And they were from Southern yeah. California. They were from Denver. They were from Seattle. They were Notre Dame football fans because of the Catholicism part of it. Just like BYU is the Mormon school. There's already a yep. built-in. Just, just want to – sorry. I wanted to include right. that. It's, 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 another, it's, a, it's another important part. appreciate that, Eric. And it's – these, Notre Dame doesn't need any extra help. It has that deal with NBC because they're Notre Dame. Uh, that's one of the most recognizable brands in college football. It honestly, except for the past 20 years of Alabama's dominance, it was probably the most recognizable name in football. But it's up there with USC and Texas and Miami and schools like that. And Oregon is just not there. Oregon's history spans you know, the last 28 years, 30 years, if you want to be generous. Notre Dame's been going on with as an absolute powerhouse for the last 100 years. That's why they're independent because they don't need to join a conference because they have this massive TV deal. Granted, every other sports team that they have except for football is in a conference. So, and I don't know how those finances work. I don't know if they get money from the ACC, if they, they do. So they get double money because when you're Notre Dame, you bring that much to a program or okay. into a conference, I should say. You're also noticing Notre Dame is it doesn't sound like they're going to sign up now, is but this is the closest they've been to signing on with the Big Ten, who has been courting Notre Dame for our both our lifetimes, probably combined. Yeah. <laughs> like probably, for, while it was Notre Dame and Penn State were those two kind of big whales to court, and then Penn State ended up signing on with the Big Ten, and Notre Dame yeah. kind of stayed out there doing its own thing. At some point, Notre Dame will be brought into the fold, but they Eventually. don't have to be. They don't have to be because they're financially stable and also because it's a school that has a ton of private funding. Um, and yeah, being private is a huge part too. Massive. And if you're Oregon, you have to negotiate a new TV deal and you're just not going to get the same amount of money as you would staying in a conference. It's just, it's just as simple as that. And I think Notre Dame is either figuring that out, that if they go to the Big Ten, they're going to get more money than they do from NBC 
or they're just using it as leverage to get extra money from NBC and sign a new TV deal where they get $70 million a year. Um, and Oregon just doesn't have those facilities. They just don't have the, the history. They just don't have the national audience. Um, and I know people are just not going to like this podcast in general and think we're too negative. But it's, yeah, it's just as simple as that. It's that the, the financial improvement for Oregon isn't there if they go independent. It's as simple as that. They might as well stick in the Big 12 or the Pac-10 or whatever the case may be. I think it's reality, though. Yeah, I do think it's reality though, and and that's why I'm trying. That's why I'm trying to put some positive spin on here because I do think ultimately Oregon can survive and be a very viable brand. But I yeah, think you're going to have to survive some tough times here where there's a lot of uncertainty. Because I do think, again, trying to put a positive spin before we get to our last question, which is again the last question. I might be a little more positive on, but I think. Um, I do think whenever, if it's the year 2032 and there are two major super conferences, Oregon's going to be in one. Oregon will be in one of them. I feel pretty confident about 100%. that. It's all about the next 10 years or how, however long it is. You hope it's less than that. Staying afloat, sustaining, and and trying to prove yourself and, and why you would be um, an attractive partner to be included. It sucks being the last person asked to the dance and the dance is, you know, the dance being the proverb, you know, kind of the analogy for whatever the conference is that stinks. But I think if you're Oregon, you realize at some point it's going to happen. It's just not right now. And being left in a place of like, who's my going to be my dance partner? Kind right. of uncomfortable. All right. And last one. one, I got one more thing. And regardless of what conference Oregon is in you know, for the next decade, every September, they'll be playing football. doesn't matter. It's not like That's the team's true. going anywhere. That's it's true. just, the peripheral of this and, and how strange it is and how untimely it is and how there's no, there's no concrete details of what's happening, ex you know, except for the next couple of weeks where maybe we get um, an actual detail of what's going to happen for Oregon. It's just, you know, it's, it's uh, un uncomfortable to a lot of people, but. The PAC 12 will target, I think having some sort of determination by July 29th, which is PAC 12 football media day in Los Angeles. Um, I would imagine they'd like to have George Clack up, that. up there being able to answer concretely where things are at and not have it be like, well, nah, we're working on it. I don't know. I So I I don't know. I mean, I, I think things will move a little more rapidly than they probably yeah. would be expected to. I think you'll know by the end of the it month. It needs but I, to, frankly. Uh, but we'll see. Who knows? All right. Last one here. We're just going to answer one more question. We're almost up to an hour. From at Nash underscore Duckaneer. If Oregon ends up moving to the Big Ten, how do you see that affecting recruiting positively or negatively? Hashtag us and audibles. Nash, I want to flip your question upside down because we're kind of more com we're confident it's probably not happening. So I wanted to kind of frame it around how do we think Oregon's recruitment or sorry, recruiting happens if they are not in the Big Ten? Because I think that's more than likely where we're headed with this. And again, we're doing this podcast at 1230 on Wednesday, and it could be tomorrow we get news breaks it could at be Oregon. Today. Exactly. Yeah, it could be. It could be twelve forty-five, and we just record this whole podcast saying Oregon has not, not good enough to be. In, they're not going to be included. They're not a big enough brand, and we look like complete dipsticks. I'm not putting that past us, but I, this is the current information we're going off of. Uh, in fact, Jared, check Twitter. Make sure nothing is broken. Is Oregon still? Is, is Oregon sure, in a conference? I think they're in. So let me let me kind of answer this. Conference. Yeah, maybe Oregon went independent, and, and Thug Life Tosh looks really smart suddenly. Um, yeah. I don't know if he did before, but just and like he looked down. He, yeah, he he nailed it. But this question from Nash, I, I just want to put it in this perspective. I would be, I would be probably 
Nothing's changed. According Still to in a conference. Still in a conference. Go Ducks. Um, I think I think it's probably somewhat negative over the long term. I don't think it's that big of a deal like right now. Because recruits, I think, will be discussed this with. Like I know I'm sure USC will bring this up with every Oregon recruit that's being recruited by Oregon and USC in Los Angeles yeah. and probably everywhere. The reality is, though, I don't think that these coach that these recruits are looking at it that way. And I don't think until it's tangible, which is probably like the year 2025, 26, will they look up and go, oh, Oregon got left behind. Because <clears throat> as I post on the board, right now USC can argue Oregon isn't going to be in the Big Ten and is hosed just as much as because there's so much uncertainty, just as much as Oregon can say, we will maybe be in the Big Ten and we're not hosed. So until things are more concrete and until it's right. 2024 and that there are actual games where Oregon is not in the other conference and everything, I don't see it being that big of a deal. And also, I, I don't know. Like, look what Baylor's done. Baylor's right now, I think, eighth in the country recruiting. I'm just using them as an example. Not really a recruiting powerhouse. Baylor's having a really great – it's like one of their best recruiting classes ever. And they were just – the same thing happened with Texas and Oklahoma. They just bounced. Baylor's still doing fine. I don't think Oregon Oregon is still going to have, as Jared said, they're going to they're going to line up and play football in September. They're going to have these same recruiting coaches in place who are awesome and on the trail that are really good at what they do. Steve Wolfong was just on his podcast. He used the Clemson of the West Coast from a recruiting perspective of that's how he thinks Oregon will frame itself, and that's how he thinks Oregon's recruits will see it. I don't get super. I've seen I've seen fans be like, everyone's going to decommit. All the coaches are going to leave. That's not real. That's not how it goes. That's not reality. I understand the uncertainty that we're in, and it stinks. But I think Oregon will probably be hit by a little of this. It will probably be difficult to beat USC head to head if USC has success on the field, and if Oregon has success on the field, and they're in different conferences, and the Big Ten gives you a better chance of making a college football playoff because you can make that argument. But it's each recruitment isn't about specifically that. Like it might cost you a little bit. It probably will cost you a little bit. I don't think it's gonna I think it's probably a slight net negative. I don't think it's as big of a thing as people are making it out to be. I think Oregon will continue to recruit just fine nationally and just fine regionally. And I don't see this being a thing where Oregon's gonna go from bringing in top six to twelve recruiting classes every year to suddenly it's Top 30, top 35 is your max. I really don't think that's where this is headed. I think Oregon will still be viable with Blue Bloods. These coaches are coaches that have incredible recruiting Rolodexes and success already to their names. And so I would be really stunned if it just falls off a cliff. I don't expect that. It might gradually get a little bit worse. That was always probably going to be the outcome with USC becoming what USC is expected to become down south. And this could also be the case, Jared, if you want to put this more, put your Oregon tints on here on the, and is. Maybe USC goes to the Big Ten and is just terrible and does falls totally right. on the face and ends yeah. up not being good. And so then they're even less viable to make a college football playoff and contend for championships, which ends up maybe in a weird way benefiting Oregon of like, hey, USC's in a tougher conference, but they're winning seven games. I'm just, this is the best case. This is Oregon fan fiction right now. USC's only winning five to seven games every year. UCLA is doing even worse in the Big Ten, and Oregon is now winning nine to ten games every year. You're on a more winning program, a winning culture, et cetera, et cetera. Could benefit Oregon. But to me, I probably lean towards it being a little bit of a net negative, but I don't think this is some massive thing that's going to completely drop everything off a cliff because NIL is still in place, and Oregon will continue to be very aggressive in that market. So 
I don't think it's going to affect recruiting at all because I think these issues, these ideas of going to a team that can compete in a better conference, that's been the case for the last decade. You know, it depends on what the recruit wants to do. Oregon has continuously recruited well for the last five, six years, you know, under Mario Cristobal, now under Dan Lanning, um, regardless of USC, regardless of the SEC, regardless of the Big Ten. Um, if a kid wants to go to Alabama because they have the best chance of winning a national championship, they're just going to go. It doesn't matter now that the fact that the SEC is turning into this big powerhouse conference or the Big Ten. Um, I think West Coast players will continue to look at Oregon. Um, I think if Oregon continues to do well on the field, I think it'll. I think it could potentially help them. I just don't anticipate USC's move being that big of a deal on the recruiting circuit because it all depends on player relationship with coaches. It all depends on how the team does on the field. It all depends on things that were already there to begin with. Um, I can only remember like one recruit and recently that made a decision to go to a different conference based on the conference. And that was Chris Steele, the cornerback out of California. I remember one of his quotes was the, he, when he committed to the Gators, with Florida Gators, he said that the SEC allows you to play more physical football than the Pac-12. And I said, yeah, you're probably right. And then he ended up transferring to USC. I was just going to so, say, Jared, finish the story because he doesn't end up playing in the US right. in the SEC very long. So if a player is going to make a judgment call on their recruitment to go to a different conference because of the conference, then they're going to do it. It didn't matter if it happened next year. It doesn't matter if it happens in 2029. It didn't matter if it happened in 2015. It's going to happen. So these are my few positive spins on this podcast is that I don't think recruiting is going to be affected for Oregon that much. Maybe maybe it's a net, net negative in the long haul because Oregon might have missed out on $250 million over 10 years by not going to the Big Ten. And now these uh, recruiting coordinators, these recruiting Departments have more money than Oregon does, but you still have huge donors at Oregon. It's all going to depend on the coaching staffs. And maybe maybe one year Dan Lanning decides to leave because there's a Georgia opening. And that's, that's just how it's going to be. Um, I feel pretty confident that Lanning is going to be able to put a, a good program on display on the field. And I think that's all that's going to matter. Um, despite USC being the talk of the town and the off season because of Lincoln Riley, um, Oregon's still putting together a really solid class. You know, they have the 10th highest average commit of any class in the country. Granted it's behind USC, but I, I, I just don't see how it's going to change that much. I, I really don't. And Eric, if we put our you know, green tinted uh, sunglasses on, yeah, maybe USC stinks in the big 10. Maybe they just get absolutely dismantled because they're not physical, just like how Lincoln Riley's Oklahoma teams did in the college football playoffs. Maybe that happens. And maybe everybody looks at Oregon in 2026 when they're still in the pack six and they're going 10 and one every year. And they say, hey, I want to play for that team, just like how a lot of people wanted to go play for Clemson, even though the better chances to get to the college football playoffs were in the Big Ten and the SEC. I don't think it's going to matter. I just really don't. All right. Last thing I just wanted to say before we finish this, because it's already gone record length, perhaps. Um, I could talk longer, but well, it's let's... fine. It's fine, Jared. Uh, I, just trying to maybe win us back some 
some favor. <laughs> you, you you now have a real villain in the who's currently in the Pac-12 only for two years because you you know for a while it was like you hated Washington, you hated Oregon State, like USC, like pe- people have hated Oregon a lot in the conference because Oregon's been really successful. I think USC is going to be like the new most hated team out West. And that's not bad for Oregon, huh? Get them off that. People don't like Oregon's brand. Now, if you're an Oregon fan, you can keep hating Washington. That's cool. But now you can really hate USC. And when they come here in 2023 for the last time, I expect it to not be a very fun time for the USC fans and the USC players because I think they're going to get treated not real nicely and there'll be cause behind it. Do you think here's, here's a quick poll. Um, who is more hated, uh, Larry Scott or the USC Trojans? It's a tie. A tie? It's a tie. I disagree. The USC Trojans don't leave if not for Larry Scott. That's why I think Larry Scott's num- numero uno on the hatred list. Yeah, but okay. Not, no, how much of a tangent do you want me to go on? What, what I was going to say is it's, it's more, I think, USC because they're the ultimate one to pull the trigger. Larry Scott gave them the gun, loaded it with the ammunition. USC had to pull the trigger. USC, people are going to see the person who pulled the trigger and kind of go, yeah, it was pretty bad. Larry Scott laid the groundwork. He paved the road. He he drove. He, he put them in the car. He gave them the gas mileage. He, you know, here's the gas. Drive the Columbus. Here you go. Here's the keys. Here's this car. And USC said, eh, do we want to leave? And, and Larry Scott goes, yeah, get the hell out of here. You're not going to make any money staying here. Go drive over to Columbus. And they go, all right, guess we're going to Columbus. Can make yeah, some- here's here's a briefcase full of like 20 extra million dollars. Have so fun. They're, they're both culpable. Anyway. Um, well, here we are. Yeah. yeah. It's what it is. It's, I mean, it's not, opt- it's not optimal. Um, there'll be plenty of news, I'm sure, breaking. Or We didn't talk about it too much about Oregon in the Big 12, what that could look like, because that's a hypothetical that – is, is also very much in play, but frankly, there's so much else going on right now. It's kind of hard to get to that. We can talk maybe in, in future shows. Maybe we do that on Friday about maybe Friday. We, 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 we pick which one we choose if we were Oregon. Maybe that's just the idea for that show of which more attractive ultimately is going to the pack 12, sticking in some sort of pack 10, pack 12, whatever it is, trying to expand and add some schools. Is that more attractive going to the big 12 more attractive? There's been some talk of the ACC and pack 12 having some sort of, coast-to-coast alliance to play each other for some sort of conference championship game, you know, kind of crossover stuff. Does that tickle your would fan? Would that championship game, would it have to be, like, in the direct middle of the country? It should still be in Las Vegas, but probably. I don't know. <laughs> the irony, of the irony, Jared, is you just do it in Big Ten country, which is just the worst. Yeah, it's going to yeah. be in Cincinnati. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's going to be in New York City. Um Anyway, yeah. um, we'll get to all that stuff. I think maybe that's what we do on Friday is we, we kind of talk what what path we like Oregon to take. I think maybe I'll put some polls out on social media, maybe on the site, kind of see where Oregon fans are at, what their preferences are. Um, I know this has been kind of negative. Some probably aren't still listening now. I apologize for that. I'm trying to think we're being pretty realistic about where things are, though. And so uh, hopefully better – but better days are ahead, though, because football season starts here in a couple of weeks. And guess what? The team will not be – the team that will be the team – now, it's still going to be the team that plays Georgia in September mm-hmm. in Atlanta. That game is still being played. Everything is not lost. So thank you for listening to the Hots and Audibles podcast. I've been your host, Eric Scopel, Jared Mack, writing Shotgun. Talk to you later, folks. Peace.